with your coffee and pastries, other delectable snacks. Uh, I just thought I'd give a quick promo on the, the video here, and then we'll, we'll watch the little promo video. Um, Frontline as a conference, as Rob said, that we do as a church, as part of our region of churches. This year it's going to be in Moab, Utah, as he said, December 27th to 31st. Um, this is just a little snapshot of the things that are going to be talked about. Details are on the website. We do have flyers on our information kiosk. Please pick one up. We hope you guys will join us. Here's the video. To live as a disciple of Jesus Christ means to love Jesus and to love people like he does. But what does Jesus' love look like in a Facebook culture that lists 40 different choices for gender? How do we share about the love of the Father in a generation in which 50% of American children grow up in broken homes, 40% are born out of wedlock, and it's estimated that more than 685,000 people experience abuse each year? What does it mean to offer the abundant life Jesus promised in a world where recreational sex is normal, drug and alcohol abuse are routine, and pornography generates more revenue than the NFL? And as the social fabric in America loses its Christian framework, what challenges and choices will the committed disciple face in the workplace, in education, with our government? The world has changed. What does that mean for a heart set to follow Jesus? In America, we are now living in a culture more like the first century than the 20th century in terms of its values and worldview. The first century church was born into the cultural and spiritual tension that the Christian increasingly faces today. Yet, those first believers found their place at the front line of this tension and never backed away. They followed Jesus in a very broken world and they changed an empire. Frontline 2014 is going to take a raw, head-on look at what it means to live for Jesus in a generation that knows almost as little about Him as the generation into which He was born. Right. I'm excited. Let's go. You'll be hearing more about that as we go along here in the coming weeks and months. But if you could pick up one of those flyers, go check out the website with all the information. I'd really love for you to join us there uh, this week. So, that's enough about Frontline. Welcome again. Glad you're here with us. Uh, at the firehouse, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, some of you may remember a couple weeks ago, I was on this stage and was recognized as a pastor. And this is my first time on the stage speaking to you in that role. And of course, the topic today is money. So they said, hey, let's bring that guy on and we'll throw him out. Maybe we need to pray for me. <laughs> Um, furthermore, not only are we, we uh, am I tackling a, a, a sensitive topic, uh, 
there is a Broncos game going on, I think, as somebody alluded to. So hopefully your DVR just kicked on here with a couple minutes ago. And um, if, you, if I catch you looking down at your phone, checking scores, no, I, that's okay. Just don't tell me. I don't want to know. I'm going to go watch the recording when I get home. Um, and if you're new with us, uh, again, we're glad you're here. We know that tithing and money is, is maybe not what you probably came to church to hear about this morning. But just bear with us. Um, and maybe at least, at a minimum, you know we're not afraid of any topics here at the Firehouse Church. We're willing to talk about anything um, and everything. So, in all seriousness, we are talking about giving today. Um, and that is, not only is it a tough subject um, so be new up here, but it, it's just a, a tough subject in general for somebody like me who who gets my my income from the church. It's tough to talk about giving um, because really the, the tithe of the saints is the budget of the church, and that budget includes my income, right? So I hope at the very beginning I want to give a disclaimer. I know it would be really easy for any of you to misunderstand me and think that I have an ulterior motive for standing up here. But what I'm going to share today is really my convictions on tithing. And those are founded in the scripture. And these convictions I had are unchanged. I've had them since before I was a pastor, when I was a professional architect working full-time. Um, and now, nothing has changed. So th- this isn't new just because I'm in a new position. I'm just sharing with you my convictions um, that I've had for a number of years. And again, our, I think you realize this. Our job as pastors is to really shepherd the church in all things. And that includes giving. And we're just trying to be faithful to that. So I, ho- I hope you'll understand that. Um, there's a verse in... Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I shared it last night um, at Nightlife also. It says this. It says, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And so I'm really trusting that today, you, each one of you, will receive what is shared as God's word, not Greg's word. We talked about last night the difference between Craigslist and Greg's list. Right? This is not God. Greg's word. We're talking about God's word today, and I hope that you'll respond accordingly to that. And so, to do that, I'm going to pray, and let's try to set our hearts right together. Heavenly Father, we lift up the time to you today, and um, in the midst of a, a busy Sunday and a, a busy month, and many things on our minds, Lord, I pray you would reach into each life today, including my own. Help us to hear from you on this topic that is so important, yet one that we so often shy away from or have have the wrong perspective on. Please help us today. Help us to hear from you. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the question, the first question we're going to answer is, how does this thing work? There we go. You're going to do it. How does it work? Nick pushes the button in the back. That's how it works. This thing doesn't like me. They like test it out before and it works and it doesn't. Anyway, so why give? Why give? Why give? God commands it. Well, that's a real simple baseline to answer. 
It just doesn't get any more basic than that. Why do you give? Because God commands it. Now, I'm going to take you through a couple places in the Bible. There's lots of places in the Bible that talks about this, but I'm going to take you through three. First, we're going to start in the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 3, and this ties back to something Tim shared last week. Remember, he shared about having a Malachi moment. Talked about um, having, having a moment of repentance, where we repent on something that we're not following God, not trusting God, not worshiping God in. And so the particular passage I'm going to focus on here <clears throat> says this. It says, this is God speaking, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask... How are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. So what's going on here? We break it down. I think Tim talked about this last week. We had the people of God, and they turned from God. They were in a sense state of apathy, moved on to a state of rebellion and disobedience. They needed to have that Malachi moment that Tim was talking about last week. And this rebellion that they were experiencing was manifested in their own financial management. They were shorting the temple, what was due to the temple according to God's law. And so what does God do? He tells them to repent. Tells them to start giving again. And then what? They'll be greatly blessed. This right here, this passage, I see this is the foundation of giving in the Bible for all of us. And let's move on to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, On the first day of every week, each one of you, each one of you, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. See, here we see Paul treating regular planned giving as normative and applicable everyone in the church. And we see this elsewhere in the New Testament. See, Paul doesn't say most of you. He says each one. He doesn't say sometimes. He says every week with regularity. And this passage to me is very clear that there's no evidence in Scripture that the tithe was abolished when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we can look at the example of Jesus as an even clearer example of uh, why we should be giving. Luke chapter 21, the very beginning, there's this, this short four verses where Jesus directly talks about giving. Jesus, as he looked up, 
He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. See, if Jesus had intended to abolish regular and sacrificial giving, this was his perfect chance, right? Here was this thing, he's standing at the temple, he looks at this thing happen, and he could have said, she gave, she doesn't need to give anymore. We're good, God's got it covered. But no, what did he do? He commended her. He said, look what she did. He showed us that giving is part of our faith experience. He made what this widow did a model for us. And in some ways, I think you could make a case that this goes even beyond the standard laid out in Malachi. So that's what we see in the scripture. Let's go back to our question. Why give? We give because all of our money belongs to God. How much is all? All. What does all mean? What's the Greek word for all? All. Yeah, there's a great verse here, Psalm 24, chapter 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? It sounds like a good praise song. Earth is the Lord. Right? We could just sort of skim over that. But everything, it says, everything. What's excluded? Nothing. Is your money excluded? It's not. So when we understand this, when we really, really get this, Tithing and giving is no longer an obligation. It's worship. We're worshiping God by giving our money. See, we stand up here, and Dave, you just did such a great job today, you and the band. And you lead us in songs, and we stand up and we sing, and we think that's worship, and it is worship. But what does that cost us? Very little. Very little. When you put a check in the box back there, what does that cost you? A lot. Costs you a lot. So which one of those two demonstrates our love for God more? Something to think about. Another answer to the question, why give? Well, if you don't give here to the Firehouse Church, we won't exist. Things are pretty dire with our finances here at the church right now. And Rich is going to share on that a little bit more next week. I'm not going to go into that very very much here. But that could be true for any church. If you don't give, the church won't exist. In addition, the church won't grow. And see, growth is not about building ourselves up or making a name for ourselves or you know, adding a bunch of staff and hiring police officers to direct traffic around here. That's not what it's about. See, at our church, we see growth as lives changed. We see growth as greater opportunities to have a greater influence on behalf of Jesus Christ. If you don't give here, we won't be here. Not only will we not exist, we won't be here to help meet your spiritual needs. Um, I think about, uh, I, I planted a garden at my house this year. I had a garden at my old house. I planted a garden at my new house. And I was like, oh, this is great. Put the box out, put some sprinklers on it, and planted some vegetables. And... 
And then I did not take very good care of my garden this year. As of you know, I'm not really into landscaping, and I have five children, and I'm busy, and I just didn't spend a lot of time. It's not something that's very therapeutic for me, like it is for a lot of people, right? It just wasn't. And um, how many uh, how many bell peppers do you think I got off of my my bell pepper plant when I didn't weed and didn't trim the branches of the apple tree that were hanging over it? Zero. <laughs> I didn't do a very good job. I didn't water it. I didn't care for it. And so my needs, my food needs of getting some peppers and getting some zucchini and stuff were very diminished. Right? And the same is true with the church. If we don't take care of it, each one of us, we don't take care of it and we don't contribute, it's not going to be here to meet our spiritual needs. And then also, we won't be a resource for you. Do you have a heart to have the good news go to the lives of your family, your friends, your neighbors? We're a resource for that. We can do that together. We can help you in that. But if we're not here, we're not going to be able to do that. So that kind of answers the question, why? Why give? Let's look at how. How should I give? Well, first, and we're going to tie in here to some more things that Tim shared last week, we should give with a spirit of obedience. And I think that, that comes in four ways. First, obedience plays out proportionately, giving proportionately. 2 Corinthians 8.12 here says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. See, God, He says very clearly, He does not expect us to give in a way that is out of proportion to what we take in. In addition to giving proportionately, we need to give regularly. We talked about that a minute ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Again, I'd highlight there, Paul says weekly. The idea here is a consistent regularity, whether you're giving every Sunday on the nose or the idea is regularly. Why? Why regular? Well, if we think about tithing as worship, it keeps us in regular worship. We're not worshiping this month here and not that month and the other one and maybe every six months. We're not doing that. It's regular. And again, we go back to that phrase, the tithe of the saints is the budget of the church. If there's not a regularity, budgeting is impossible, right? I think about, um, think about Zach. I had a conversation with Zach recently, and he works in the landscaping business. And as you can imagine, uh, spring and summer and fall, there's a lot of work. And in the winter, he shovels snow, but there's a lot less. And we were talking about some of those challenges of not having a consistent income stream to work with. That when it's high here, you've got to smooth it out when it's low. And that's a real challenge, even for a church. If everyone just said, I'm just going to give a, a check once a year, or once every six months. It's very difficult for a church to budget and to know what we can do. How can we take ground on behalf of God when it's not regular? So those are some practical reasons. How else should we give? We should give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says this. It says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. See, giving comes with an attitude, reluctance, or cheerfulness. It's kind of one or the other. And which one of those indicates a heart of obedience to God? Reluctance 
You know, we go through that with our kids sometimes, or we ask them to do something they need to do, their chores, and we say, you need to have a heart of cheerfulness in doing that. Having a heart of reluctance doesn't really indicate obedience. Cheerfulness does. So God calls us to be cheerful in our giving. And then the fourth thing is freely. We're to give freely. Again, we go back to Luke chapter 21, the, par- the, the story of the widow. And really, that idea of freedom, that is, we talked about that before, that's the spirit of the gospel, is freedom. And it applies in our giving as well. We've been set free from obligation so that we can give freely. That's what God has set it up for us. So, how else should we give? Give how? Well, we should give to the church where God has placed us. It's very clear. Well, what is a tithe? Let's talk about the definition of tithe. I keep throwing that word out and I haven't defined it, right? I looked it up on the amazing internets, the Googles, and it told me that the tithe is one-tenth of annual produce or earnings. That's what a tithe is, and that's what it's referred to right there in Malachi chapter 3. See, in Israel, if you go back and you look at some of the Old Testament laws, the tithe was to be given to the temple. Why? So the temple could be very wealthy? No. It was given for the sake of the Levites. Well, who were the Levites? The Levites were descendants of a guy named Levi. Thus, their name Levite. Right? And they were set apart as a tribe of Israel. They were set apart as a group of people so that they could serve in the temple. And the intention in the law was that those Levites would receive their living exclusively from the temple. And that living was to be provided by the tithe of all the other people in Israel. And so, it also, not only did it supply the needs of those Levites, but there were physical needs at the temple. The temple had to be maintained, had to be operated, same thing. And that's what God is telling us to do. That's where God had placed the Israelites, that's where God has placed you. He's placed you right here, and that's where He wants you to give. And again... The benchmark for this one-tenth, this tithe, was not modified or eliminated when we get to the New Testament. Jesus didn't say, oh, don't tithe. The Apostle Paul didn't say, no, you don't need to do that. We no longer have the temple because Jesus has established the church. And once again, let's ask that question, how much of our money belongs to God? All. That's right. All of it. What's the Greek word for it? No, I'm just kidding. I won't walk you through that one again. Yeah. So let's go back to Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Okay? And the widow shows up, and she drops her coins, and he says, Look at, compare her to these other guys who are giving. Now, I've had it suggested to me that this, this story is maybe more about the corrupted religious establishment that existed at the time of Jesus than it is about the widow. And I would say there's some truth to that. I think that there definitely was corruption going on in the church. That's why Jesus later drove out the money changers out of the temple. But I think we've got to be very careful to dismiss that and say, that's what that was about. That wasn't about giving. Because the widow still gave. She still gave. Even though the temple was corrupted, even though the religious system had all these problems and Jesus spent so much of his ministry pointing it out, she still gave out of obedience. The problems with the establishment did not preclude her from giving. 
And then she was commended. Again, we said that before. She was commended by Jesus for giving. And I think the emphasis is really clear when we get to that story. The emphasis is on the success of the giver. The emphasis is not on the corruption or the failings of the group that was receiving that. And so, you know, we do our best at the Firehouse Church with what's given to us. We try very hard not to be corrupted. We try to be very wise in the way we spend things and we try to be very frugal. And, you know, we, we teach financial principles in an FPU class and we try to live by those as a church organization as well. And so, I guess maybe the last part about how to give, I could give you some mechanics. If you're new here, you maybe go, I've never thought about giving or I don't know how to give or how do we get the money to you. Well, you may have noticed we never pass a plate. Some of you, like me, maybe grew up in a more traditional uh, church setting where every Sunday the plate got passed. Well, we don't do that because we want to help you not be under compulsion. Remember, we talked about that a minute ago. We're supposed to give freely, not under compulsion, and so we don't pass a plate. We don't want you to feel like people are watching you to see if you give or not give, or that we're watching you. So what do we have? We have a box. The box is in the back over there. Um, We also have auto deposit. I know a number of people go through their bank and we get a check in the mail automatically. Um, And then we also have online. You go to our website, denverfirehouse.com. You can give there as well. Now, there is a cost to that, obviously. We, We have a cost, so that's fine. We want to make it as easy as possible. We're willing to pay that cost because we want to remove all obstacles for you to give here at Firehouse Church. So we talked about how to give. Um, some of you may be sitting there saying, I've got some objections, I've got some questions. And so I thought about that, and I wanted to talk about um, what I see is there's seven common questions of objection that I could come up with. Maybe there's some more. Maybe they'll sort of fall into these. And I'd like to run through these. Yeah, maybe you could come up with, with an objection, a question. And I think you, you may honestly have these as questions. I think a lot of times we need to examine our heart when we ask these questions because we're often saying these things not really because we reasonably object but because we're just a little bit selfish. Maybe we don't want to obey what God has asked us to do. But here's those questions. The first one, the tithe. Is that 10% of gross or 10% of net? Yeah. Well, I heard somebody say once, how would you like to be blessed? On the gross or the net? <clears throat> I, think it's, I think that's funny, but we can go back and look at what Jesus said. What did Jesus say about taxes? Right? That's really the difference between gross and net. Right? It's after taxes or before taxes. Well, what did Jesus say? Yeah, that's right. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees and they're trying to trap him and saying, ooh, should you pay taxes or not taxes? And what does he say? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. He didn't say, give to Caesar what's Caesar and then what you have left, give that to God. No, he makes a clear distinction that we owe in, in two different places. And that's what Jesus said about taxes. Now, another question, sub-question that kind of comes from this is, what about benefits? We live in a culture where we get medical insurance, life insurance, disability, and those kind of things. And maybe that can be a gray area sometimes, but I would say, is it part of your wages? Somebody paying you for that? Are you getting that as compensation? You should consider tithing on that. What about bonuses? I think a bonus is really God's blessing to you for your hard work, 
Should you keep that all for yourself or should you tithe on it? Next question we might ask is objection. Uh, so is that a full 10% to my church? Or is that 10% really a sum total of my charitable giving? And, you know, we live under freedom. It's really up to you. But I think charitable giving is really an American concept, not really a biblical concept. See, in the Old Testament, we see what, what did the Israelites do? They gave to the temple. They gave to the Levites. Then they also had the poor, and they gave to the poor on top of that. They didn't give to the temple so the temple could give to the poor. They did both. Think about Jesus in chapter 26 of Matthew. Uh, the woman comes in with the alabaster jar of perfume and, and breaks it and anoints him. And his disciples get really upset, and they're like, who could have sold that and given that money to the poor? And what does Jesus say? He, he basically tells, her no, tells him, no, this was worship. This gift was an act of worship. You always have the poor. The poor are something different. Don't take what was intended for God and give it to the poor instead. See, I don't think, I don't think our worship to God should be substituted by giving to the poor. I think giving to the poor is something we should do in addition to that. Third question we ask is, is that really 10% of all of my incomes? Or is that just 10% of maybe my first income? Well, it probably goes without saying. You know, I'm going to say it's both incomes. It's all your earnings, all of your incomes in your house. So we go back to Malachi chapter 3. And what was God calling them out on? He was calling them out on robbing him. And he wasn't saying, you're not giving. He said, you're not giving the full amount. And I think this, this question, even though it kind of seems funny when you look at it on the surface... I think this gets to the heart of how it's really easy for us to rob God. We can tithe, or we can give, but not completely. And I think God has some strong things to say about that. If we go to the book of Acts chapter 5, there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They sell a piece of property, and they give the proceeds to Peter, and to the church. But, as the story goes... They say what they gave was the full amount. But what they gave was not the full amount. And what does Peter say? He says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And then what happens? They drop dead. It's probably a reason we don't name our kids Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> right? It's scary. But I think we need, to, we need to realize that God takes that very seriously. And God sees... We say we do it freely, not under compulsion, but God sees. God sees into your heart, into your life. He knows what you're doing. We need to be careful not to rob Him this way. Another question you can ask is, will I get a tax deduction for tithing to the Firehouse Church? And the good news is that yes! We are registered as a nonprofit with the government. We just need to make sure that as you give, that your name is somehow attached to it. If you give cash, then you put an envelope with your name on it. And at the end of the year, we'll get you a letter that's good for use on your taxes and, and so forth. But, I think this begs another question. If there wasn't a tax deduction, would you tithe? If the government took it away, would you still give? See, if your answer is no then your heart in tithing is really for your own temporary gain when you get that tax return at the end of the year. It's not for giving to God. So we've got to be really careful. See, the tax advantage is there, and I say use it. I use it. We should. 
But don't make it your motivation for giving. Another question we can ask out of objection is, shouldn't the rich or the poor give less or more? And I've heard it kind of both ways. Shouldn't the rich give more? Shouldn't the rich give less? Or shouldn't the poor give more? Right? Heard it. And I would say the answer is no. God doesn't make a distinction. We have tax brackets. God doesn't make tithe brackets. It's a flat tithe. See, 10%, really, when you really think about it, 10% affects both the rich and the poor. Wherever you are on that scale, God made it very equal. It might affect you in different ways, but it's the same. It's the same. Now, what if you say, and I've heard this before too, well, once I get that raise, I can start tithing. Or I can start fully tithing. I think your heart is in the wrong place because you're relying on wealth to give rather than giving that 10% where you're at, right? Another question that kind of ties right into that is some people have said, man, my finances are a mess. Shouldn't I get them in order? Shouldn't I pay off my debts and then start tithing? I think that's a good question. And at the Firehouse Church, we're sensitive to that. I mentioned a minute ago, we offer Financial Peace University, which is a several-week course about how to help you manage your finances according to God's principles found in the Scripture. And in two weeks, Brad is going to be up here, and he's going to talk some about, even though it's how we can practically as a church apply God's principles to our finances across the board. Um, But the tithe is the first 10%. The second not the third, not the last, it's the first. And so if you find yourself in this position, and, and I have compassion on you and your situation, and we, we end up in these places, and, and I understand that, but if your finances are a mess, have you considered that maybe part of your problem might stem from the fact that you've been robbing God by not tithing? You're missing out on that blessing that might come from that? And then I would ask... Have you tried tithing as part of the solution to your financial issues? It might be something worth considering. And then the seventh question people ask is they say, Will God really throw open the floodgates? What does that look like, really? Well, and God is a, is a unique and dynamic guy. And he, He'll make that look very different for every person. It's not always tangible, right? If we go back to Malachi chapter 3, what does it say? He says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Well, that's a little different than God walking up and handing you a check. Right? I know we don't live in an agrarian society. I like my big word. My master's degree was worth it. We don't do, most of us don't do agriculture. So we don't get that. But think about that. Your pests destroy your crops. They won't destroy your crops. And the fruit won't, won't drop off. That seems to me to be a very divine, miraculous, inexplicable blessing. Very different than God walking up and handing you a check back. And that's how He works. And that's been my experience. I think of a few things. That I, I could go on for a long time about what God's done in my life as... Um, I was 16 years old and I got my first paycheck. I said, you know what? I need to tithe. Whenever I get a paycheck, whenever I get paid for something, I need to tithe. And I've, I've done my best to be faithful to that. And I really feel like I've seen God's blessing in my life. Um, when Christine and I lived in Seattle, 
Um, I was a graduate student, just talking about my graduate degree. I was there uh, getting, that, getting that degree in architecture. Um, and Christine was working. She was our breadwinner, and I was studying. And um, the job market was not great. And what she was able to find was uh, 12 bucks an hour, working 40 hours a week, looking after babies in a daycare uh, with no insurance, no, no benefits. Um, and uh, Seattle, as some of you may know, is the cost of living is a little bit more than it is here, and so it was an expensive place to live. I, I, I don't know how we're going to make it on 12 bucks an hour and two of us and paying for school and time and housing and, and all of those things. I didn't know. But we decided we were going to tithe anyway, the church we were part of there. We said, nope, that's God's 10%. We can't steal that back for ourselves. We have to give that to Him. And so we did. So it wasn't much... We didn't give much, but we gave what we could, which was a 10%. And God looked out for us. We look back at that time and we both scratch our heads and say, how did we survive? How did we buy groceries for the two of us? And then Christine was pregnant for the second half of that. And how did we make it through the medical stuff? We don't know. We don't know. And then at the end of that time, we were living in Fort Collins in my my in-law's basement while I finished my thesis. And she had baby Reeve. Wow, 10 years ago, she had him, and she wasn't working, and I wasn't working, and we were living in in-law's basement. But we didn't, make a, we didn't advertise that things were tough or tight. And on two occasions, an envelope showed up in the mail at my in-law's house, unmarked, with $100 cash in it. I just think that was God. God just opened the floodgates and said, You need this? I'm going to give it to you. He'll do those things. What else? Bigger picture stuff. I went through six years of college out of state. My wife went through four years in state. We had zero student debt after that. It's not because we're special or we managed our money or whatever. God provided. God blessed it. We've purchased three cars. Two of them we bought with cash. The third one we paid off within six months. We have no car debt. I don't know how we did that, except that God has provided we bought a house for no money down. I don't know, how, how do you do that? How does that work? The things that happened, the people who showed up, and the realtor who didn't charge us the full fee. and the, the, I, I don't know how it happened. I didn't plan it. I didn't look for it. We sold that house. A significant profit. Why? Because the market changed. Did I have any control over that? I had no control over that. God controlled it. I had a job in architecture for 10 years. During that time, we went through the recession. And during that recession, you know what we said? You want to find a good architect? Go to Crate and Barrel, because they're folding clothes and moving merchandise around, because there's not any architecture work out there. I kept my job. Not only did I keep my job, my boss said, I'm not going to drop your pay like I'm dropping pay and firing other people in the company. I'm going to keep you. Why? Because of me? So something I did? No. It's because of God and what He did and how He honored that. I fully believe that all of these blessings, there's more, I could go on and on, all of these blessings come because I've done my best to be faithful to God in giving 10%. And now, I've got new steps of faith. I left that full-time architecture job, and I really stepped into this world here with you all. And there's a distinct possibility I might not get paid this month. And I don't want to have to go back to full-time architecture because of finances. But whenever I get, I'm going to continue to fully tithe. 
would fully trust God and worship Him with that based on what I'm earning. See, I know my God and I trust my God. He has and He will. He will throw open the floodgates. He promises it. And the only way you're going to know this is if you test Him in this, as He says. So let's do this together. I think we've got something to pass out here. Zach, can you pass this? You've already done it? Awesome. You guys have those little bookmarks. We made a little bookmark for you. So, if you're already tithing, thank you. Praise God. Good job. Maybe if you're already there, you might think about, no, double-checking your finances and tighten it up to make sure you're not inadvertently robbing God, as he says there. And then maybe you could sort of check your heart and, and just... Trust that God can give you fresh faith in tithing. And that it not be a routine, but something you're doing in faith and worship each time you write that check. Now what if you're not fully tithing? What if you're not yet tithing? What if you've never heard this before? I'm glad you're here today. And so I, we got these bookmarks. These are a pledge to test God card. little bookmark for you, if you will. So, I would encourage you to say, Hey, you know what? God does want me to do this. And sign it. And write that amount. And write that start date. And you know what? Pick a time period, like 12 months. And say, God, I'm going to test you in this. You said to test me? I'm going to test you. 12 months. Let's see. What are you going to do? And then on the back, flip that thing over. There's a little list for you. And you can write down the ways that God blesses you when it comes to your finances in that time. And so take this bookmark and keep it in your Bible. Put it up on the wall near where you, you do your finances, you write your check by your computer, whatever. And then together, together, let's see how God provides for this church. Let's see how God provides for you. Man, I'm excited to see that. And I think He will. He's going to provide in your life through your demonstration of faithfulness in tithing. And that's what I have for you today. Hopefully... Uh, still time to catch the end of the Broncos game if you aren't recording it. I'll pray for us here. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is good and your word is true, Lord, and we hear your word and receive it as from you, not from men. God, we know that the earth is yours and everything in it belongs to you. And that includes the money that you provide us as income. And God, you say we should tithe to take care and meet our spiritual needs through the church. So God, we trust you're going to do that. And um, Lord, if there's anybody here, uh, Lord, there's so many people in different places and different situations. God, and it's not my heart that anyone would squirm in their seat or feel uncomfortable or feel like this church is demanding money. Lord, no. God, I just want each person here to experience the blessing of tithing the way that I have and the way that you have ordained. So God, we pledge before you today that we're going to test you in this because you said we should test you in this. And we trust you for your provision and we worship you with our tithe going forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thanks for coming. We look forward to seeing you next week at the Firehouse Church.